When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does your robot really understand you? As a person, I mean. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Carla Diana, designer, author, educator, founding head of 4D design at the Cranbrook Academy of Art, and head of design at Diligent Robotics. Welcome, Carla. Thank you, Tanya. It's great to be here. So give us a quick overview of your professional background, please. Sure. Um, like many of your viewers and listeners, I started out really interested in science and math and what ultimately adds up to technology. And I studied mechanical engineering, but I always knew I wanted a creative bent onto that work. So I went back to school for product design for my master's degree. And since that time, I've always focused my work on um, the creation of physical things that have some digital component. So that's really been my niche. And I've worked with some great firms like Smart Design and Frog Design. And more recently, um, as you mentioned, being head of design for Diligent Robotics. So I've really taken that love of physical digital and it's added up to be really focused on making robots something that we can, work with in a really natural way. Your book, My Robot Gets Me, How Social Design Can Make New Products More Human was released earlier this year. What's an example of a product in common use today that flunks the normal test? So that's a great question. And the premise of the book is really around us interacting with our products in a way that just feels natural. Like you don't have to learn codes or buttons or, and um, you know, one of the things I think that flunks is something as simple as a microphone, like even the microphone that's in front of me, because it's so um, critical to know when something is listening. And I make a lot of analogies in the book to social interactions between people and thinking about what we're used to with that interaction. And so, for example, even the microphone that I'm using that I've used many times before, which is wonderful in terms of its tech, you know, features, audio features, there's, there's the blinking red light and the regular red light, and there's the um, gain and, um, and the volume. And it doesn't really tell me so clearly when it's listening or not listening or, uh, and I, I think that a microphone is just such a critical part of what we do every day. I mean, how many times have we been in meetings and people say like, is this thing on or can you hear me? And so that's, I think a real pain point in uh, our products today. So how does social design work? So the way that it works and in terms of Um, some guidelines that I offer to the readers in the book is I really look at um, a framework. So there's this framework that kind of builds from the simplest aspect to getting to the more complex aspects. And it starts with what I call presence, which is really how a thing is 
physically shaped. So, you know, this microphone does have a lot of um, aspects that let me know that um, this is the top, this is the bottom, this is how it sits on the table, etc. And then, you know, beyond that, it's what we call expression. And so expression is the way that a product talks to us. And certainly we're used to some products nowadays that literally talk to us, right? Like Siri and Alexa and Cortana and Google voice and all that kind of stuff. But in the book, I really talk a lot about the need for abstraction. And I think that's really where it gets very interesting for product creators, because, um, the, like this microphone example, for, for example, has, a, it does have a light and it, and it blinks, but I have to remember that blinking is mute and not blinking is, so that's an actual language. And so really that language becomes core to the way that social product design works is what, you know, what are those lights? How do we understand those lights? How can we make that feel natural without literally having every product screaming at us? Like I'm turning on now, I'm listening now, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I break it down into three modalities, which are light, sound and movement. So, you know, things can like, there's this wonderful conference room camera that I love that will actually spin around and, and pivot. And it looks like something like bowing its head to take a nap. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not listening. I'm off I'm in the corner. And so I think there are a lot of aspects of that, that we can continue to explore that can get better and better. But, um, you know, then the framework builds and from expression, we have interaction, which means taking in information and then immediately responding. So letting you know, um, you know something has changed or it's detected your voice or all of that kind of thing. And then beyond interaction, there's um, an aspect that's called context that is actually very, very important in anything that's interactive or anything robotic. And that is that the product understands aspects of what is happening with you as the product user, um, what time of day it is, what the temperature is, what other things are on your calendar and uses that context to inform what is happening with the product. And then the um, final level is, inter is interaction intelligence. So, you know, the, the whole kind of taking everything there and having it respond appropriately. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Describe the relationship you see between incorporating artificial intelligence in product and setting expectations. There's, you know, there, there's a lot to it and, and I get into it really deeply. So beyond the framework, um, I, uh, talk a lot about artificial intelligence and the, and the difference between what we, um, talk about and how we toss around this word AI and what different things that that might actually mean. And sometimes we say AI when we're talking about conversational agents. Sometimes we um, say AI when we're talking about things that are happening in the background that are you know decoding everything that is 
going all of these different inputs that I'm talking about that are going into a product understanding its world. And, um, you know, I think that we are really um, conditioned by um, the science fiction, right? And when we hear AI and when we hear robots and, um, or even if we start to see some, you know, we're, we're really conditioned to read what we know as humans in to our products. So read this movement, read this message, this light, you know, people name their Roombas and they feel sorry for them when they get stuck and things like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's important to understand that science fiction has led us, has misled us in many ways into thinking that a machine is thinking the same way that we're thinking. And so a lot of what I talk about in the book is a general education around like for everyone, you know, not just sort of those of us who are aficionados, like we are all using these products. So it's good for us to all understand that this is, you know, what kind of input is being taken in both from, you know, privacy considerations, as well as just understanding how the thing works. And, you know, it gets pretty intense when you start talking about things like, um, vehicles, right? And the semi-autonomous or autonomous vehicles and, and knowing that the getting a better sense of what I call the robot brain is taking in and, and what decisions are being made and understanding that it can't take in or make the decisions the way we make them, even though that may be our mental model. Speaking of privacy, where should we draw the line between individual privacy and tuning product behavior through data capture? That's a great question. And I think it's one that I would really love everyone to be thinking of. Again, getting back to this sort of general education, because we do have a lot of products now that are using cameras and microphones and they're, you know, they don't have presence. They're embedded within our other products and speakers and, and walls and television sets. And, um, you know, I think that it's important for any of us to understand that that data is being collected and to understand the different difference between data that's being stored somewhere by a company, data that's being taken in momentarily and not being stored, data that's being stored locally, let's say, on a device, and um, make our own decisions around where we feel comfortable with what kind of information. And right now that is what I would call something very opaque. Like if we take something like an Amazon Echo, which so many of us are um, accustomed to having in our homes, it doesn't necessarily tell us what it's doing, right? And um, you know, something that uh, for a long time I was collaborating with a professor at Cornell Tech, Dr. Wendy Jew, and she likes to talk about the echo as um, a guest that's in your home that just kind of sits in a corner and is quietly listening to things. And you don't really, I mean, you know when it's actively listening, but you don't know when it's passively listening and you don't necessarily know where that data is um, going and how it's being collected and where it's being stored, et cetera. And of course, that's a very complex set of things to communicate to someone who just wants to, you know, hear, um, 
the clash play a song on their speaker right but um i you know comp companies are working harder and harder to to start to communicate those nuances to us because it is important what's the relationship between the content of your book and your work at cranbrook so um at Cranbrook, I run a program that I founded here that is called 4D Design, that is largely around creative uses of technology. So we work with um, we, robotics, creative robotics. We do a lot of digital fabrication, 3D printers, projection mapping is part of what we do, and um, you know, creative software. Uh, and so, um, the book really represents a culmination of um, what I teach. So I've been teaching courses around how to design smart objects for the last 10 years and had created these courses at University of Pennsylvania and at School of Visual Arts. And I also taught for a while at, the, at Parsons in New York. And um, this program, this 4D design program is really um, a culmination of that, where it's not just one course, but it's an entire two year master of fine arts degree. And so um, what I, the relationship is that a lot of the book was premised on that curriculum that I had created for those courses, as well as just a lot of stories, because when you teach in design, I'm a strong believer that the education is strongest when the person who's teaching is also very actively involved. And so, so that's why, uh, even though I have my hands on a lot of different pots, the, what, the work that I do with diligent robotics really informs what happens when I come to Cranbrook and I'm working with my students and you know, can come right fresh from having worked with some of the top engineers um, in the country, I would, I would say, you know, who are, I'm learning from in terms of what technologies they're using, how they're using them, how can we make that into design that's successful in what I call social, and then bringing that to my students and hopefully inspiring them to create their own projects and go out in the world, et cetera, et cetera. So the fourth dimension is time. And you know what the way that I really describe the program is that we are creating artifacts that have properties that are dynamic over time so that we get back to the light sound and movement. All right, Carla, where can we go to listen to your podcast and get a copy of your book? So the podcast is called the RoboPsych Podcast. We've been on a hiatus for the summer, but we're coming back this fall. And it is, um, if you go to robopsych.com, there is a link for the podcast. And the book is available at any of your major booksellers. Um, Amazon is easiest for many. Bookshop, I think, is, a, is also another one that um, works with more independent booksellers. And it is called My Robot Gets Me, How Social Design Can Make New Products More Human. Carla Diana, designer, educator, founding head of 4D Design at the Cranbrook Academy of Art, head of design at Diligent Robotics, and author of my Robot Gets Me, How Social Design Can Make New Products More Human. Thanks again for joining us, Carla. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on any major podcast platform or at thetanyahall.net. Thanks for watching. Thank you.